You are listening to Danvers Audio, a podcast by the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. Thanks for listening. Howdy, Grant Castleberry here with a new season of Danvers Audio. And fittingly, we have new CBMW president, Denny Burke, here in the studio. Denny, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> Pleasure to be here. Now, uh, Denny and I actually go way back. Denny was my pastor when I was in seminary, uh, took a preaching internship with him. So I know Denny really well, but I just kind of wanted to take some time to get time today. For our listeners, those who don't know Denny quite so well, just to kind of get a little bit of your background, a little bit of who you are, where you're from, uh, that type of thing. So uh, I just thought we'd start with uh, your roots, you know, where you're from, Louisiana, kind of what things were like uh, growing up. and I kind of have a dual citizenship because I was born in Louisiana, spent most of my growing up years in Louisiana, but also spent part of it in Texas in the Metroplex area. Yeah, you did. So, yeah, so that's why in college football I pull for the LSU Tigers, but in Mm. pro football I pull for the Dallas Cowboys. So uh, Mm. my fandom is split because my my time was split. And I can't imagine a more polar opposite of good guys and bad guys right there than (laughs) than the LSU Tigers and Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, it's it's a schizophrenic fandom. So, uh, but yeah, so I I, I spent most of my time, though, growing up in, in Louisiana, uh, my parents are Christians, raised me in the faith. Dad led me to Christ when I was when I was nine. That's a bit of a misnomer, really. My mom and dad were leading me to Christ the whole time, weren't they? But mm. um, I prayed to receive Christ with my dad when I was nine and um, uh, was baptized then. And um, the Lord um, worked in my life over the years, um, had some struggles. In college, though, the Lord did a, a real definitive work um, right the summer after my freshman year, mm-hmm. and um, I was at a um, a retreat, and I really felt the Lord's call in my life for ministry. And at the time, I thought that meant that I was going to be a Christian rock drummer. <laughs> so uh, whatever I was feeling in those times was completely unformed. It was not... I, I didn't. I really didn't uh, have a, a biblical worldview completely put in place. I mean, some of the basics were there, mm-hmm. but um, I was still on the front side of of some growth that would come after that. But I really felt the Lord do a definitive work in my heart, and um, and so I began pursuing ministry after that. And um, when I was in college, I was uh, I was a music major for a while, but then. Um, I just began to have this uh, love for theology and Bible, and the Lord used some uh, kind of a crisis of faith during mm-hmm. my sophomore year to 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 confirm that. But um, one of the catalysts of that was a professor who I really admired, who didn't believe the Bible, but he knew the Bible really well and used to talk about it in ways that were very compelling. And yet, I knew that he didn't believe it. And that, combined with some other experiences, really caused me to think, well, can I really trust the Bible? Can I really trust God's Word? And that crisis of faith, it put me in kind of a spiritual depression. After this great experience, summer after my freshman year, Mm -hmm. I was 
now having doubts about the scriptures. And no, nothing happened to definitively change that, like in a day. But what the Lord did over time was bring influences into my life, like C.S. Lewis and Francis Schaeffer, that began to put everything back together. And it was out of a sense of earnestness for my own soul that I began to pursue theology and Bible like mm-hmm. I never had before. And um, the Lord was just gracious during my sophomore, junior, and, and, and the rest of college, those years. I would eventually declared a history major, and when I did, the dean of the school at the time, I was at a secular state school, and I told him that I was going into ministry, but I was going to study history while I was at undergraduate. And he said, well, I've been studying Greek with this retired Presbyterian minister for years. If you want to get your foreign language credit in Greek, you can do that. Wow. And so at the time, I was coming out of this spiritual crisis, and it became apparent to me that a lot of the people who were skeptics of the Bible knew Greek and could read it in Greek. And I had this, I had this sort of a soul compulsion to be able to read the Bible in Greek. And this man came into my life, this retired Presbyterian minister, and he taught me Greek. And this guy was old. He had actually went to seminary with Francis Schaeffer. And so there was a mm. point of contact immediately mm. where he knew Francis. He called him Frankie. Frankie Schaeffer. <laughs> he was a southern guy. So he's a West, he went to Westminster back in no, the day. No, I think it was the, a seminary that's now defunct. I think it. I think he went to Faith Seminary. Okay. And, um, but, so there's this immediate connection that the Lord put in my life through this man who taught me Greek and then through Mm -hmm. the New Testament in Greek, which he was delivering to me. And he never charged me or the university a dime. Mm -hmm. And when I got to the end of the course, all the classes I could take with him, he just had me at his house and we would sit and read the Greek New Testament together. But what was what was happening in me during those years was the Lord was re, was putting together everything back together for me, and um, I had an earnestness that I had to be able to read the Bible in the original languages, mm. and um, so, so it was it was huge for me, and so by the time it it, it by the time it was um, of my senior or the my last year in college and it was time to start thinking about seminary, I just wanted to go to a place that was going to teach me theology and Bible. And um, there was a pastor who was an influence over me at the time, Tommy Nelson, mm-hmm. and he was a verse-by-verse preacher of the Bible, and I knew he had gone to Dallas Theological Seminary, and through that influence, I ended up going to Dallas Theological Seminary and um, really focused on the languages while I was there, Just just loved it. And then um, while I was at Dallas Theological Seminary, 1998, a commentary comes out on Romans, and it was written by Tom Schreiner. And I remember picking it up at the, the bookstore, mm-hmm. and I saw the theological conviction of that commentary and what it stood for, and that it was at a Southern Baptist school, which was my rearing. I was raised in Southern Baptist churches, and I was... It hooked me in, and so I ended up coming to Southern Seminary after that and doing a Ph.D. under Tom Schreiner. And, um, but what was happening through college, seminary, and then, and then Ph.D. candidacy was I just had this uh, burgeoning, growing 
love for pastoral ministry and for academic theology. I just mm-hmm. liked both of them. And I didn't know how the Lord was going to put that together. Um, but eventually it led to um, teaching and then also pastoring at the same time. And so I'm an associate pastor at the church where I serve now. And, Kenwood uh, Baptist Church. Yeah, Kenwood yep, Baptist Church. Church here in Louisville for our listeners. So I serve as an associate pastor there. I carry about a, a quarter of the preaching load. And then um, I'm also teaching at Southern Seminary at the undergraduate school, mm-hmm. Boyce Jim, College. Jim Hamilton, yeah, biblical Jim Hamilton. theology professor at Southern Seminary, uh, senior pastor. And, and you're a good friend from Dallas, right? Yeah, we yep. actually, Jim and I are, are friends from just really almost our first day at, um, at Dallas Theological Seminary mm-hmm. back in 1996. So we've known each other for this fall will be 20 years. So along the way, uh, John Piper, I've heard you talk about him and just kind of his influence in, in seminary and, and towards theological beliefs. And, and, and in some ways, you know, he's an academic and a pastor. And in some ways, you know, obviously your personality is different, but you have a similar gifting and, and kind of drive towards both of those spheres. Can you just talk about a little bit about his influence on you yeah. theologically and... Sure, which is relevant because he's one of the founders of, of CBMW. Exactly. But, um, yeah, Piper's influence on me in those years, I don't think I could overestimate, uh, overstate his influence. <laughs> um, when I was in seminary, I had kind of swung out into a kind of um, a cold, doctrinaire sort of a personal disposition. And the reason was because I was reacting against some influences in my past that were overly um, uh, emotional. Mm. (laughs) So I'm trying to – so anyway, I I just kind of uh, adopted this stance that, look, what God wants us to do is to understand him Mm -hmm. and know him, be smart in theology. And I have journals back in my early seminary days where I was journaling through the Psalms. Now I was trying to extract from every psalm the objective attributes of God, and that was supposed to be the the know, end game, the feature of my contemplation, you know. And so I'm, I'm abstracting the objective attributes of God from the psalms, and I'm writing them down. And I'm, this is the real focus, you know. I got to get rid of all this. My soul delights in you, and as the deer pants for the water stuff, I got to get to the heart of it, which is the objective attributes of God. And so I had this sort of a cold doctrinaire approach to the faith that came on to me during those years. I was really learning, and the Lord hadn't forsaken me, but I was drifting in a certain kind of a direction. And um, I went to Passion Conference in 1998 Mm. and heard Piper preach. And he preached on the cross from uh, Romans chapter 3 and verses 25 and 26. And his exposition of 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 the meaning of Christ's death and God's wrath poured out on him on our behalf. It was just the gospel being held forth from Scripture with passion. Mm-hmm. And it was the gospel that I believed, and it my heart just sang in mm-hmm. the midst of it. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, this here's here's a, a pastor who's preaching the Bible who's really got it down. Mm-hmm. And the theological, yeah, and, and but what but what what got me though was 
I was watching Piper in one of the worship sessions, and he was down front. Mm -hmm. And he had his hands up in the air. And he was with abandon, worshiping the Lord with all of his heart. And so he was just an enigma to me because he was this theologically, biblically serious guy whose heart and affections were fully engaged in God. And so um, I, that's when I began to get into to uh, his influence really began to have a, a powerful impact on me. I got into some of his books, but especially his preaching after that, and began to realize that serious theology and serious affection for God are not at odds. Mm -hmm. In fact, they go together. Mm -hmm. And um, that was my segue into Jonathan Edwards, the religious affection. Mm -hmm. And Jonathan Edwards was saying the same thing, that the nature of true religion lies in gracious affection. And so um, my cold heart was not an honor to God, and I knew that. And so so Piper had a tremendous influence on me when I was when I was in seminary, and um, a part of that influence was all the extensive writing and work he'd done on the gender issue, and of course, mm -hmm. um, founding CBMW, and um, and so my my mind on on the on gender issues was being shaped during that period as well, and um, CBMW his work in CBMW and and all of the others was a big part of that. Hmm. I know for those of you who don't know Denny's PhD research, he did it on the articular infinitive in the Greek New Testament. So to switch from such a detailed focus on uh, the, the basics of the Greek language to a wide-ranging topic like sexual ethics, which you've written a large amount of, of writing on, um, what has kind of been, you know— since you've finished your doctoral work, kind of like the the, imp the impetus towards that? Uh, it's been a growing thing. So over the years, it's, um, well, I guess I'm trying to think how the interest really started. I mean, I guess it started way back in seminary mm. in some ways because the gender issue has always implicated so many hermeneutical and theological questions. Like what? Well, like what your hermeneutic is, mm -hmm. the way that you approach the Bible and interpret it um, is sort of a, a question that's prior to what your conclusions are about gender. Um, back in 2002, I was fascinated by the whole trajectory hermeneutic. And, um, you know, the, that, that, um, that question is, is enormous, not just for the gender issue, but for there, there are a number of issues that are downstream from that. Uh, so the hermeneutic issue always fascinated me. Um, For our listeners, what's the trajectory hermeneutic? Uh, well, the idea that um, when it, when it comes to looking at biblical ethics or biblical teaching, that there the Bible gives us a trajectory that's going towards a certain place, and that place may not be explicitly indicated in the Scripture. So, um, so for instance, you know maybe the Maybe the Old Testament teaches, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, maybe the Old Testament teaches something about slavery. Mm -hmm. The New Testament gives us an advance. It's not perfect. Right. It's not the ultimate ethic on slavery, but it, it's an advance on the Old Testament. So there's a trajectory. And then now we know that that trajectory was pointing us to some other ethic that's not really inscribed in the Bible. And 
but with the trajectory is. And so our goal in interpreting the Bible is to deduce the proper trajectories, embrace those, and then form our ethics based off of the trajectories. And the endpoints may be outside of the Bible, mm-hmm. but the traje- trajectories are there. So I don't know if that's confusing to everybody or not. Which is problematic for when, when understanding marriage and gender because it puts conclusions uh, that we're supposed to follow outside the teaching of the explicit teaching of Scripture. Yeah, that's right. And so there, there were, um, so so like on the so on, on slavery, ever supposedly everybody sees this trajectory, and nobody accepts what the Bible mm-hmm. thinks about slavery anymore on that argument. And um, therefore, let's apply that same logic to the to the gender issue, and. Um, so so anyway, that was trajectory hermeneutics, and it was a it was kind of a dividing line back in the late ni- late nineties, early two thousands, and so these kinds of things were just fascinating to me, just at the theological hermeneutical level, and there are many things implicated by this. One of them was a gender issue, but then as the the two thousands wore on, it became increasingly clear that the 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 leading edge of the church's interface with the culture was more and more becoming these sexual ethic issues. Mm -hmm. What does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? Um, uh, Issues of sexuality, things have changed just so dramatically in in the last 10 or 15 years. And that implicates the way that we understand and teach the Bible. And so I've just been interested in these issues um, uh, for those reasons. Uh, There was a period where I was the editor of the journal for biblical manhood and womanhood. So I was deeply immersed in the issues then. Um, but my interest has, you know, predates that. Mm-hmm. So that's and a so truncated you, so you've, uh, so you've written, thumbnail sketch. Uh, transforming homosexuality. Uh, you've written, what is the meaning of sex, which just unpacks yeah, biblical what, sexuality. What, what is the a, meaning of sex is, is just an introductory level book on sexual ethics. So it deals with the whole waterfront of um, gender, marriage, um, homosexuality, singleness, even. So that's and it's doing it from a biblical perspective. Yeah, that, that's I mean, what I've used it in marriage sex. counseling. Just it's it's helpful for just understanding yeah. what is the point of of sex with, within a marriage covenant and 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 what does the Bible say about that. And then in response, you also wrote a part of the response to Matthew Vines, which which was a uh, I guess some a so, so-called biblical justification for homosexuality. You wrote a response to that, which I yeah. think is very important. Yep. And then uh, this most recent book I wrote with Heath Lambert called "Transforming Homosexuality," which was talking about the ethics of sexual orientation. How are we supposed to think about that? So these issues for me are. Um, I always think of I'm always coming at these from the perspective of of what does the scripture say and wh- and therefore what does it compel us to believe. And so scripture is our final authority and if we want to think God's thoughts after him, we've got to think what the Bible says. And so mm. I'm coming at all these issues from an, an from the standpoint of what does the Bible say? And if I know that, then I know what God says. Amen. Well, I think that's all the time we have for today, but I'm looking forward to just kind of getting into your vision for CBMW, what you plan for the future, and just and just your your heart for this ministry. And I think that's something that our listeners will be excited to hear. 
Thanks for coming on the show today, man. You bet. Thanks. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please visit us at cbmw.org, where you will find more resources to equip you to think physically. Again, thanks for listening.